Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. Mel Herbert. I'm Dr. Jess Mason. And I'm Dave Mason. Today on This Won't Hurt A Bit, we're talking about movie medicine. If you haven't already, check out part one, where we discuss scenes from Pulp Fiction and Mad Max Fury Road, both classics. Now on to our final film. The Revenant. Oh, let's do it. Yes, I saw I saw Leonardo DiCaprio battle a bear. Battle a bear. Movie about a a guy called Hugh Glass, who is a frontiersman type guy. He is part of like a fur expedition, and he's he's part of this kind of group of like ragtag hunter frontiersman dudes. They're all a bit gross and they've been in the middle of nowhere for ages. And they're at a camp and their camp gets busted by these Native Americans. And they have to push downstream and set up camp somewhere else. And while they set up camp, he ends up all by himself in the woods and he comes across some baby bears. The mother comes along and attacks him. She's like, get away from my babies, I'm gonna kill you. So she just wastes them. Oh my God, it was so effing graphic. That bear that boy up, son. They kind of tussle, I think he tried to shoot the bear, but it, the bear got to him first, I believe. And she picks him up and throws him down and she's standing on him and She's biting his neck and his back and she's scratching him up and... There's bits of flesh flying everywhere and Leo's screaming and doing very good screaming, pained acting. And the bear realized that he wasn't dead, came back to him, scratched him up again and then was like pouncing on him. Probably, you know, crushing his bones considering how many hundreds of pounds of the bear weighs. He just lies there prone, completely not moving because he can't move. He's completely demolished. He looks back and the bear kind of lunges from one more time and he shoots the bear. The bear lands on him. They fall down a gully. But then he's pretty much dead and he's just lying there kind of dead. Yeah. Leo should be dead. He should be f***ing dead. Oh, God. Oh, my God. In The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio's character Hugh Glass gets mauled by a large grizzly bear. Despite being slashed, crushed, and thrown around like a ragdoll, he survives the attack. I've always worried about being attacked by a wild animal. I think it's a base fear of most humans. You realize that when you're in the forest or you're in the water, you're no longer at the top of the food chain. So to see this scene, so incredibly well done, of a bear, an overpowering, gigantic bear attacking a human you realize you got very little chance of surviving this. Now, we know he gets some deep lacerations, including a bad laceration to his neck, and I'll come back to this one. He may also have some internal bleeding and broken ribs from the bear standing on him. A large adult grizzly bear can weigh up to 1,700 pounds. That's about the weight of a smart car being dropped on you. It slashes at Leo quite a bit. Deep gashing wounds through the skin, through the muscle. If that goes deeper and goes into the lungs, on one side, you might be able to survive with lots of air around your lung and a collapsed lung. But if you did it on both sides, you can't survive that. If the bear flips you over and rips open your belly, you're not going to survive that for very long. But let's assume that the bear did it slashing, like you see in the movie, lots of very deep wounds. Can he survive those? The answer is yes. They'll tend to bleed a lot, but he did get help and they did get sewn up. So that reduces the bleeding. 
His ankle gets dislocated in the brawl. Now, we don't know if he broke his ankle, but we do know that it is dislocated. And fortunately, it gets set in a later scene. He would have some pretty serious ligament damage and would need a cast or a splint to keep it immobilized and in place. And he'd need to keep the weight off of it because any weight he puts on his ankle could dislocate it again because it's so unstable. All of the lacerations from a dirty bear paw would almost definitely get infected. I don't think Leo's character was current on his tetanus shot, so if he didn't die from sepsis, he'd probably die from tetany. Sorry, Leo. The probability that an infection is now going to kill him has got to be 80 or 90% in an era where they had no antibiotics. Even in today's era, he would have to go to the operating room. He would have to have these wounds thoroughly irrigated out. He would have to be on antibiotics and probably would have to go back to the operating room multiple times to get out the other infection, which inevitably is going to occur. But let's say he survives that, that he gets a few infections and magically he survives it. It's possible. It is possible. We have an immune system. His is going to be working overtime. But what about that neck laceration? It's really deep, and it slashes across from the side to the midline of his neck. There are so many important structures in the neck that could be damaged, like, I don't know, the carotid, jugular, nerves, the esophagus, the larynx, the trachea. It's a recipe for disaster. So he's been gouged across the neck and survives it, but it clearly is affecting his voice. That could happen because there's some nerves that innervate that area of the neck, which are involved with your ability to phonate, your ability to talk. So maybe he had some injuries there, or maybe he had direct injury to the larynx, the voice box that's right in his neck. When he tries to drink water a few days later, it goes into his mouth and out his neck wound. Now, I'm trying really hard to come up with a plausible explanation for this, taking neck anatomy into consideration. And neck anatomy is very complicated. So if you feel where the Adam's apple would be on a man and you go up about two finger breadths from there, that's where you'd have your vocal cords and epiglottis. That's the body's decision point between food and water, which goes down the esophagus in the back, or air, which goes down the airway in the front. Higher up than that is a shared space, and below that point is two separate pathways. If you have an injury above this, it's theoretically possible that you could drink water and it would leak out of your neck, but this would be really high, like right under your jaw, and that's not where his wound is. With the location of his wound, it looks like it's around the area of his larynx, and that's the airway, so water wouldn't dribble out of there. If the cut was deep enough that it went through the airway all the way to the esophagus, well, that would transect the larynx or the trachea, and that's not survivable, at least not without immediate surgery. If the cut is going partly through his trachea and into the esophagus, then anything he drinks would also go into his lungs, so he'd be coughing and aspirating. Then it starts to chronically bleed. Later in the movie, you see that it's bleeding, it's dripping, and he decides to cauterize it. So he takes gunpowder... And he packs it in the wound, and he lights it on fire. The gunpowder ignites, producing an incredibly high local temperature, and then that cauterizes the wound. It also is so painful he collapses. So there's a lot of good reasons not to do this. But I guess if you're bleeding to death, if you've tried everything else, and you're going to die anyway, then maybe you could go Leo on this wound and do some cautery. But if I was in his circumstance, looking at him right there, I would say, Leo, just put some pressure on and let's see if this gets better over time. That cautery has a good chance of killing you right now, or at least in a few days after it gets infected some more. So in summary, 
great job with the bear mauling injuries, the ankle dislocation, the lacerations look pretty realistic, but the neck dribbling is gonna take this one down to a B for me. The movie might be an A, but the medical review brings it down to a B. Okay, so let's just talk about the cautery for a moment. Could you just explain in a little more detail how cautery is used in the ER, um, if it's used at all? Because in the in the scene in The Revenant, cautery is used to fuse skin together uh, to keep water from, from coming out. And to me, my sort of stereotype of cauterizing skin or a wound in movies is you're trying to create the mallard effect. Ma- ma- is that what it is? The Maillard effect? What's the Maillard effect? That's like browning meat yeah. to like seal the juices in exactly. a steak. Searing it. So is that what it's intended for or does it seal? Can you seal a hole with cautery? Well, cautery is usually used to stop wounds from bleeding. And yes, you can do that. And yes, it's actually used in operating rooms and uh, emergency departments all the time. So under specific circumstances with machines that deliver a specific amount of heat to a targeted area, you can use cautery to stop some little bleeding things. So that is true. You, what the cautery is doing is that it's taking the proteins and the blood vessels and it's uh, coagulating just like a piece of steak and you throw it on the grill. It will stop the bleeding and it will coagulate those proteins into something that won't bleed and seal up. So that is true under select circumstances. The problem with cautery that you see in the movies is that they do it for big giant pieces of bleeding flesh, which you really don't do in the mm-hmm. operating room or in the emergency department. You only do it for very small areas. You're basically giving this person a burn and if you give them a big giant burn, that big burn is going to get infected. Burns get infected all the time. The problem is that they do things like you see in The Revenant. They take a what is a pretty big wound and they put a whole bunch of gunpowder and then they light it on fire and that goes boom and produces a flash burn and then everything's good. Even if that worked right then, the probability that it's you're going to uh, get infected later on is enormously high. You could blow yourself up with it if there's little pockets of gas in there. And uh, sometimes at the edges of where that burn is, it's just going to re- start re-bleeding again anyway in a day or two. So it's not the best way to stop bleeding. But again, if you've tried everything else, if you're dying, if the bear is coming back for you, I'm not saying don't give it a try. I'm just saying it's not your first choice. Would the gunpowder light in Leo's neck with all the water and blood that was seemed to already be there, would it, would it ignite? Yeah, that's the problem with gunpowder, particularly gunpowder in 1825, whenever it was, is that it's really sensitive to water. So if you throw it into a, a macerated wet wound, it is extremely unlikely to light. So I was also pretty blown away by Jess's anatomy um, description <laughs> of the water. Wa- would water be dripping out of the hole? And I asked a couple of my friends this, and... I think I was under the impression, I I know my friends were from asking them, that if you were to ask me what the anatomy of the neck is, I would say we have our mouth and we have like a big old tube, which then breaks off into whether it's going to go into the lung or whether it's going to go into the stomach. And that break would happen somewhere like at that pit in your throat. Otherwise, it's just a big old tube in your neck and just food and air go down the same tube Mm -hmm. but jess is explaining that that's not where the split happens it happens a lot higher up and food drops farther in the back and air is closer to the front she would be correct so it doesn't (laughs) so it doesn't seem like that that scene seems totally implausible at this point do we know what's coming out of that wound i mean something's dripping out of there is it blood is it an unhealing wound i 
I saw it as a, an unhealing bear wound, so it's probably got some blood and some oozing of the tissues around there. So I saw it as uh, just sort of an infected, nasty wound that he was trying to stop. Well, he drinks that water, mm-hmm. and it comes out of that hole. Okay, so he's got a fistula. So that could happen. Yeah. It could? Yeah. Because we don't know exactly where that hole is. It could come out the side. If it's going into his lungs, he's probably going to be coughing all the time because you have a fistula, which is a an abnormal connection between structures. So you could mm-hmm. he could have a hole from the back of his throat to his lung or to his neck. Um, and we see these all the time. So it's possible. But you're, you're mm. freaking out because... Uh, it shouldn't be water dripping out of the front of his neck. Now you've had your anatomy lesson. Now that I've had my little anatomy lesson, it doesn't seem like water <laughs> should be coming out from that spot. <laughs> it should not. And, and if it was coming from that spot, and because there was like a severe gash or a slash to his neck, then that means he's in bigger trouble because now water is going straight from out of the hole and into his lungs. Yes. And I think that's uh, exactly right. So you have a big slash and then when you heal, you heal abnormally. And exactly that can happen. You can have holes that go out to your skin. That hole can go into lungs. So people develop these chronic coughs because as they swallow something, half of it goes down their lung and they're like, <coughs> every time they uh, eat or uh, drink something. So uh, yeah, I thought that was actually uh, pretty accurate. What I saw was a guy that's messed up after an injury and his anatomy's all screwed up and there's leaking and blood and he was just like done here my last ditch effort i'm gonna just burn all this crap and see if i can stop it leaking i guess my problem with that scene is to me it gives off the impression that when you cauterize something it turns your skin into silly putty and like your tissues you can just like smush them back together and they reform into one and that's not true like Cautery would be used for something that's bleeding and you can't get it to stop bleeding and even then maybe not the best choice unless you're in the wilderness. But it doesn't like seal up random holes like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I guess the the timing of the attack and then it's several days later, he finally gets water and when he drinks the water, it comes out. So he's he can't even hydrate himself. And in my mind, I know reading a little bit into this. That's like the desperation. Like he can't even get hydrated. He has to act. But I, I don't know. I'm making a lot well, of I guesses. think we really need to take a further thorough history from this patient to find out exactly <laughs> what the symptoms are right now. And then he's when he drinks that water, blood comes out with it. How come? How come he hasn't scabbed or something, or something hasn't started to heal? Because that was like a few days later after the bear attack. It's all about infection. So chronic infection is that's a good example of what happens with chronic infection. It's not a enough for it to kill you, but it's just low grade enough oh. so that you can't. Your body can't do its normal healing processes, so you just leak and ooze for days. And sometimes people will leak and ooze for years from these chronic infections. And you know what he did in real life. Do you know, Mel? Uh, no. What did he do? The real Hugh Glass? The real Hugh Glass? Yeah. Maggots. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Maggots. <laughs> maggots. There you go. So he yeah. stuck maggots on there to eat the dead tissue and with the dead tissue, probably the bacteria, and then he flicked them out and it was all clean and beautiful and he got healed back together and had a long and uh, sought after singing career. That would have been a cool scene from the movie if they added that in. Like yeah. just a couple of maggots squirming around in his wound. Yeah, yeah. He probably didn't have a maggotor. Oh, what about the stitching? They stitched his wounds like really haphazardly right after the bear attack. The guy, I think they even said like, I only have enough for a couple stitches and even in the show notes we put some of the makeup effects and you can see that out of all of those wounds 
there's what maybe like five or six stitches trying to hold some skin together yeah no actually i would say that's pretty good technique because if something is you know what we would call a dirty wound something that's likely got bacteria and dirt in it, you wouldn't really want a tight suturing job because if you have infection, then it has nowhere to go if you've sealed it up that well. So we would only suture something that cleanly that was a very clean wound. A dirty slashed bear wound, we would want what they did, which we would call loose approximation. So if pus starts to form oh. under there, can the pus can just ooze out between the stitches. So good job. Oh. Yeah. Do we know how many pounds of pressure it would take to crush the human skull? Because there's that scene where the whole bear is putting all of its weight on Leo's head. And it almost, he has this look like he is going to pop, but he doesn't. Again, not something that's been tested in randomized controlled trials, but some <laughs> some doctors have made guesses at, at how much uh, pressure it would take. And to, not to like explode the skull, but just to fracture or squish the skull. Uh, there's one estimate that I found that it would take 500 kilograms of pressure. So in pounds, that's 1,100 pounds. And this bear is probably a lot bigger than that. It's probably like a 1,700-pound grizzly bear. So uh, I'm going to go with yes. I think the bear standing on his head could for sure cause a skull fracture. There's groups of doctors that get together and pose these questions to each other. I, that sounds like a group I need to be a part of. I guess that's it. The rest of the questions I had were some of the bear questions, like bear behavior. Yeah, that's what I want to know. I was like, what do I do when the bear gets me? Do I really just go into a bowl and pretend I'm dead? I have to admit, I have entertained the idea of living out in the wilderness and like what it would be like to live back in the 1800s. I don't think I ever want to do that. That was the most horrific. Ex oh, my life looked so <laughs> hard. It did not look fun at all. Oh, it looked. But the movie was great. I'm probably going to watch it three more times this week. The bear attack. Oh, my gosh. I've never been so afraid in my life. And I can tell you right now, never going to walk in the forest ever again. Yeah, the attack scene looked pretty realistic. Got a lot of issues, though, with the neck cautery scene yeah a lot of problems with that yeah you so, guys are back me, and forth on that yeah i know i kind of we kind of have a difference of opinion but for me that's why it uh it's great but it, it gets knocked down to a b for oh, me yeah well i yeah. agree with you i think that that's a little inaccurate you know it's not something you're probably going to do except on the most extraordinary circumstances i'm only going to give that one an a but i'm going to give leo a triple A, baby, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give Leo a triple A also. I'm going to give that movie a quadruple A because I learned a lot about throat anatomy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was worth the price of admission. <laughs> it was. We have to totally do a movies part two at some point. I mean, this oh, was yeah. too good. This was too good. And yeah. there's so many other like crazy movie medicine things people do. You know what would be fun? I would love to hear from our listeners. Send us suggestions. Send us your favorite movie medicine scene. And then we can pick what we want to use for part two. I guess we're going to wrap it up there. And uh, we, got, we got a lot of thank yous. We had a lot of help putting this episode together. Thank you to Sean Collier, Nicole Evans, and Seamus O'Hara for your insightful information on those movies. Thanks to my friend at work, Tawana, and also thanks to Katie Warren. And also a big thanks to Madeline Sami and Philippa Brown. I'd like to thank my mom for no reason that she's my mom. I should show respect, you know. 
And I've got to plug our new show. If you love This Won't Hurt A Bit, you are really going to love Shabam. Shabam is a science show for the entire family. Very different than This Won't Hurt A Bit. Really well produced, edited. It's an amazing show. Zombie apocalypse. You've just got to check it out. If you don't like This Won't Hurt A Bit, you're going to like it anyway. Because it's so different from everything we've done before. Check it out. Shabam Show on iTunes. This Won't Hurt A Bit is a production of Fooly Boo Incorporated. Produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt A Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So, be sensible and keep it real. And this... Oh, this. 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 This.